Hello, grace and peace. We're taking Anarchy to Church here on the Anarchist Bible Study. I'm Josh, a.k.a. Ioan Cap, and I will not be joined by Jeff, a.k.a. I didn't actually know this video was happening, of course, because why could he know it was happening? Because it was just something I was thinking about, and I decided to just go on and record and just see how it goes. So basically, we're, there, there's some usual Twitter goings-on. Uh, happening and uh, and so I I got involved in a conversation um, and it wasn't a long conversation but I, I more thought that this would be a good opportunity to kind of discuss um, for instance one verse that we've been talking about kind of off and on kind of in the background but I thought might be useful to look at and also as a way to think about hermeneutics and particularly the hermeneutics of putting things back into context coupled with the hermeneutics of application versus interpretation. So it was inspired by this meme. It was shared by, uh, my, uh, my friend, uh, uh, the old Tory Wright at right wing nutters. Um, and, uh, it was someone else who had made it and, and shared it for the first time, but here it is. Um, here is the meme. Uh, it is, uh, one of those, actually, I'm going to take my, uh, I'm going to take my, my video off for a second just to, to look at it. Um, so basically the idea of the meme is you've got, um, this, the guy on the left is kind of the low IQ and the guy on the right is a high IQ. And of course, um, it's a saint, um, uh, I believe it's St. Paul specifically yeah of course it's saint paul um and then in the middle you got the midwit and i love this meme format because for one thing it it, it makes a, a lot of it, it helps us to see what is actually true which is that many people in academia uh use big words but really aren't on the all that brilliant like you get you've got kind of um brilliant sounding things and they sound really brilliant to the the low IQ IQ person. But in the end, if you swing around to the other end, there's many cases in which the more advanced you get in something, the more you come back to like, you know what? Um, exactly what we were at the beginning. So in fact, I kind of take this bell curve, not necessarily as a, uh, whenever, oh, sorry, whenever, okay. Whenever I read or use this, this format, I'm usually thinking of myself at various points. There's a sense in which, uh, we all start when we're studying the Bible on that left side where we think every verse is totally about, Oh, this is about me. And you, you kind of grip onto different verses and then in the middle, no, you have to use proper biblical exegesis that are in the ancient near East. You can't take the Bible out of context. And, um, and that's kind of where you stay. And there's a, a point at which when you are on that sort of midwit sen center of your journey, sort of side of things that it all feels really brilliant and and in some ways you are saying something important but at the same time there comes a point at which you got to ask like okay so is 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 there any way in which this bible this passage is written for us and of course then paul comes around and says now it was not written for his sake alone but us also that's from romans um and by the way this verse too was uh one of the verses that uh um, barley and beans, I believe is his Twitter handle that he, he opened my eyes to thinking a little deeper about hermeneutics by using that verse and talking about that. So for instance, that is Paul using 
Abraham as an example of how Paul's words name the words that apply to Paul that is um that his faith was accounted to him as righteousness also applies to the believer whoever believes in Christ uh those words that is accounted to as righteousness that applies to us as well um and so and yet I'm sure you can hear us and 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 in our show that we, we we talk about this sort of stuff a lot that you can almost hear uh, um, what my response to it was, which was I was on the one hand agreeing. And of course you'll see that he, you see under his, under that he actually agreed with me as well, that uh, I wasn't saying anything that he disagreed with. Uh, but I said, that said, I think it can be a problem if we skip what it meant and go right to what it means for me. Of course, what we are talking about in the sense of this passage applies to us or or has something to say to us, um, we are saying what it means to me. And I said, I think it can be a problem if we skip that step, what it meant. If we do skip that midwit phraseology sort of thing that we saw going on there. And said, so I said, yeah, ultimately, yes, all scriptures breathed out by God and useful for us and for our salvation. That's my way of kind of summarizing everything the Bible says about like what, what scripture is useful for. Um, of course, you got to remember what I mean by salvation is the whole of salvation, not just conversion, um, as we've talked about a lot in the evangelical downgrade. But damage has been done by skipping step one. And I still hold hold on to that. And of course, he agrees and I agreed and we all clapped and, and went on our merry way. But the one verse that was brought up in, in context of that was Jeremiah 29, 11. And that's a verse that we've brought up as well. It is, um, the verse says, for I know the plans I have for you declares the Lord plans for welfare and not for evil to give you a future and a hope. And we always, that verse is well known for, for one thing, for being put on, uh, graduation cards this is a lot of times where you'll find them or, or some sort of reminder to graduates. Remember as you go out that God has a plan for you plans to prosper and not to, and then it's, and, and also of course, it gets latched onto by the um, the, uh, the the health and wealth people. But we've said before, and we've actually talked about how if you put that back into context, it actually has a lot to say. And and when I say that, I am um, bringing, I am actually, um, I'm I'm going to kind of use something that my sister once told me as kind of a jumping off point. Now I'm, I'm embellishing some things about the story, but essentially it comes down to, she had was at a, uh, a campus crusades or crew, um, gathering and someone got up to speak and she said in, in, in early on in the speech, she's early on in the, the talk. She said, Jeremiah 29, 11 had, it kind of become a life verse for her. And she, my sister, like myself, uh, when I was hearing that story, initially went, I see where this is going. Except that's not where she went at all. In fact, she went in the direction of putting the verse back into context. And she described how she felt like she was herself in this sort of exile. And, and, and she needed the reminder from God that her her exile, her, you know, being away from family, friends, being out of her normal comfort zone was actually for her benefit. And she started looking for what God was doing in her life, which is exactly right. So we're going to put this verse back into context. 
We're going to take a look at that very quickly. And I think we're going to jump or I'm going to kind of jump verbally into some other places just to um, help us to think about it. So um, we find our verse. It's right here. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Uh, plans for welfare, not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. This is the, the, the key verse. And the first thing you should notice when you look at that is it's not even in the middle of it's not even the first part of the paragraph. Um, it, it isn't the first part of a paragraph. It's not the first part of the chapter. It's not the heading. The heading is not about really about this at all. And in fact, um, it's it's so inappropriate to apply it in a sort of health and wealth. God wants to make you happy, healthy, and wise sort of sense because when you put it back into context, you see. Jeremiah is responding to a false prophet. Responding to false prophets. Um, so there were uh, those prophets around the time of Jeremiah who had been predicting that the exile would be short. That's what they have been saying. It's saying that the, the, the time of exile away from the land would be a short period of time. And Jeremiah responds to that by saying this. These are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jer Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jeconiah and the Queen Mother, the eunuchs, the officials of Judah and Jerusalem, the craftsmen, and the metal workers had departed from Jerusalem. The letter was sent by the hand of Elasa, the son of Shaphan, and Gamariah, the son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to Babylon, to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. It said, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat your produce. Eat their produce. Take wives and sons and daughters. Take, take wives for your sons and give your daughters a marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. So before we go on to seven, like let's, let's, let's figure out what, what is he saying here? Build houses and live in them. That part, um, we need to remember what... What we're talking about is is building houses. Uh, like this is a project. If they are only going to be there for a short period of time, this is going to be a so short. Don't even unpack your bags, which is what some of the prophets were saying. But Jeremiah says this is the real word from the Lord: build houses and live in them, plant gardens and each their eat their produce. Now, planting gardens. What we think of when it comes to that is putting vegetables in the ground, putting some tomatoes, some carrots, some peas, maybe some strawberries, some fruit, you know, like planting small pro produce in the ground. What they mean is vines, building vineyards, planting fruit trees. That's what they mean by gardening. By gardens. In fact, there, there's a sense in which uh, um, Eden, calling Eden the Garden of Eden is really not accurate. What, what that word for garden meant was really uh, like a, um, a vineyard or a, 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 um, 
uh, orchard. And so we're not talking about short-term projects here. We're talking about things that take years to cultivate. Years to cultivate and in pruning and preparing and watering and looking after and bringing in a, a bad first uh, first batch in hopes that the second batch comes in better. That is what they were. he was telling him to do. Is he saying, contrary to what you've been told, you're in it for the long haul. And then he says, take wives and have, and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters some marriage. We are talking about multiple generations. See that? He says that they may bear sons and daughters, multiply there and do not decrease. He's saying, don't put off marriage as if it's going to end really quickly. As if it's all going to come to an end really quickly. Like, don't wait to get married when you come back to the land. Because you, not only are you going to have children, but your children are going to grow up and have children. That's how long it's going to be. Saying, you set down roots because you are going to be there for a long time. It's contrary to what the prophets are to, other prophets are saying. And then he goes on to say, verse 7. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord for, on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you and do not listen to the dreams that they dream. For it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. So, but seek the welfare. I'm going to come back to that verse, actually. I'm going to finish. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill you, you to my promise and bring you back to this place. So he's saying the exile, they're right about one thing. It is not forever. This is not a permanent punishment. There will be a return from exile, but he's saying, and that word, that 70 years, I, I have, I didn't do any research, so I don't know if that's a literal 70 years. Like it was actually 70 years later, they're brought back, or if it's, that's a figurative number. Again, I just didn't do any research on that. And, and I will also say that the prophets are some of my weak points. Um, but, but this is straightforward enough that I can make a comment on it. Um, so, so, it's in that context and saying that it's going to be 70 years, it's going to be a long period of time. And then I'll bring you back for, I know the plans I have for you declares the Lord plans for welfare and not for evil to give you a future and a hope. Then that is after the 70 years, you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you declares the Lord and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back from the place from which I sent you into exile. Uh, now, why do I highlight that one verse, verse seven? Okay, so let's put it, putting it back into context. We see what he's actually talking about. What is it? What is he talking about? He's talking about the actual event of exile. This is a historical prophecy. He's prophesying something that will happen. And it did in fact happen. Je the, the people of Jerusalem did eventually return to the land. And so, 
And so in that sense, the Lord did actually uh, give them welfare. Their future was full of a hope. So this is an actual prophecy to the actual people of Jeremiah's day. And for one thing, let's not skip over that because it is another way that we can find ourselves in a position of trusting the Lord in the here and now. When we look back at the ways he has promised things in history and the ways his prophecies and promises have come true, then we can trust that his promises are go to us are going to come true. The promises that for all things work for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Romans 8.28 We can be sure that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion on the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. Philippians 1, 6, or, or 2 Corinthians 4, 6, that this light momentary affliction is producing in us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen, for the unseen things, the seen things are temporary, but the unseen things are eternal. So we can trust those promises because we see that God is the type of person who keeps his promises. But is that the only benefit we get from, from Jeremiah 29, 11? I don't think so. In fact, I think this is another, and this is another reason why I think this is a helpful thing to talk about for our, for our show here on the Anarchist Bible Study. I think we see here another example of a political theology passage. But I see nothing about kings. I see nothing about kingdoms. What, what are you talking about? Politics comes from the word polis, which is the Greek word for city. So politics is the way you organize society and city. When we say we are anti-political, we mean as we are mean oftentimes is when someone says they're anti-political, they mean is that they are against statecraft. They are against electioneering. They are against the process of pursuing and, and using power structures. But no one is anti-political insofar as they care about their society. Now, there's a sense in which libertarians can become that way, the radical individualists. And I would say that actually has more to do with the state uh, perversion of individualism than actual like liberty-minded activity. Because we find um, among people who seek liberty from government restrictions are often trying to replace it with other organizing principles. Um, and of course we talked about this before. It doesn't, I'm not going to rehash that whole argument, but ultimately this is a political passage because this is about the way we interact with society. This is the way we interact with society. What do you say? Be, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for in its welfare, you will find your welfare. This is something that, that, that would have felt wrong. Like you just picture yourself as a, as an exilic Jewish person taken away from their homeland by wicked rulers by evil men who would come against God's people. The very people that Psalm two uh, 
rejects and 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 speaks so harshly about they are taken by those people into exile and then the lord tells them through jeremiah seek the welfare of the city where i've sent you into exile first of all reminding them that while it may be the action of evil people taking them out of the land it is ultimately god who sent them in exile he used the actions of evil rulers and evil nations to accomplish his purpose but he is the one who did it and second, he says, in the midst of them, seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. Way back when, Flyover Libertarian episode three, I believe. Uh, two or three, yeah, three. Um, we talked, uh, Rural Rothbard and I talked about Christian libertarianism. And I brought up this example as a balance to Roman 13 onlyism, as I like to call it. Um, I didn't have that terminology then, but when we are called, what, or what we are called to do in our time of exile is to seek the welfare of the city where we are. Now, what is that saying? What is that saying? Let's take it back. Let's, let's, let's think about it this way. How does it apply to us? We need to remember that we too are exile people. Philippians says that we are sojourners and exiles in this world. We are sojourners. And so what do we do as we go about in this world that we live in? What do we do as we go about in this world that we live in? Do we, do we wait for the end? Because it's just going to be a short time. Right, that's the escapist eschatology that 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 like people like James White like to talk about. Um, escapist eschatology is this idea that that what what do we do? We just wait for heaven, wait for heaven. Christ is coming back any time now. But of course, as as James White has also said, what uh, he's he's become fond of saying lately. What if we are still living in the early church? What if time goes so long waiting for Christ's return that we actually turn out to be early church Christians? That we are comparatively early church compared to later? It's an important question because what if, like in Jeremiah's day, we are looking for a near ending that isn't near? What if instead of looking for an escape hatch, for the rapture to take us out, what if we are instead called to plant gardens, to build houses, to marry and be given in marriage, to seek the welfare of our city? This is where, this is where the, my frustration with evangelicals talking about um, using Romans 13 and, and, and of course, the, the uh, Jesus' words about render unto Caesar and using um, uh, honor the emperor and pray for the emperor, like First Timothy says, um, using those as examples to say, this is why the Christian is called just to submit to the existing governing structures and not to seek change it. This is why a Christian cannot be an anarchist. No, 
Why? Because we are called to look, to seek the welfare of the city where God has sent us into exile and to pray for the Lord on its behalf. Now, Timothy gets into that second part. Pray for the Lord on its behalf. We pray for uh, all types of people, for all people, he says, which of course means all types of people because he gives different kinds of people we should pray for, like rulers, our neighbors, our people we work with. And then, and so we pray for our society on Pray to the Lord on behalf of where we are in exile. We pray for our nation. We pray for our state. We pray for our county, our city. And yet, what does it say in First Timothy? What, what does it say when it calls us to pray for our rulers? It's so that we could live a peaceful life and not be bothered by them. We're not praying for these rulers because they are good people. We're praying for those rulers that they would not get in the way of the welfare of the city. And also we should look at where the city is seeking our, our welfare, which is what really Romans 13 is about. And, and thanks so much to, um, to, to Darnell Samuels who came on our show and helped us to, to look at that and think about that. But we, we should look for the way that the government is seeking our welfare and we should not reject or, or, or fight against that. We should support that wherever this existing state pursues the welfare of society. We should support that. And also we should pay our taxes. We submit, we submit to our authorities, but we seek the welfare of the city where we are sent into exile. What does that mean? That means, first of all, that means in, in the sense of just doing good work, planting gardens, building houses, marrying and being given a, and, and, and giving our children a marriage, raising families, working with our hands, setting up a household and a, and a life where we are living. That's what planting garden and building a house, having children, families, but also get working hard i think some people like we i've seen kind of some responses like some some people have um well just think about it this way the word the the book of proverbs so often gets spiritualized in, a, in an extreme way i've even i've also heard people ask like where in Proverbs is the gospel? And I said, well, and I said, I'll say like, well, there's little pieces of it in typology and in pointing, but really by and large, the gospel comes before Proverbs. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. So Proverbs comes after the fear of the Lord. Where does the fear of the Lord come from? The fear of the Lord comes from regeneration. It comes from faith. It comes from a justified person, an adopted person, a person who's been given the spirit of God, which is the spirit, also called the spirit of wisdom. And so we're given the spirit of wisdom and, 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 and as we learn to live in this world as a person who fears the Lord, we look to Proverbs and Proverbs does give us some spiritual guidance, but by and large, it is practical wisdom. It is practical wisdom. That's, this is, it, it, and 
like you yeah you've got some some passages in there about just general wisdom and about mor moral life and yet you also have in proverbs um the hand of the a slack hand causes poverty the hand of the diligent makes rich it's proverbs 10 19. what is that saying i mean this is what's common commonly called the the protestant work ethic the idea of working hard not just as a service of the Lord, but because it there's there's good comes from your hard work and your labor. Like he's basically saying, work hard to provide for yourself and your family. Don't be a sluggard. Go to the ant, you sluggard. And and yet, my my partner Jeff Park would would want me to remind you that a proverb is not a promise. This is speaking of wisdom, which is the, the if-then statements of Proverbs are the way of normal life. Yes, sometimes you work really hard and your business still fails. That does happen. And yet, by and large, the way the world works is you work hard and then you make wealth. Gain in wealth. By working hard. And the slugger does not gain wealth. By and large, the way it works. Now you can, now what do we do? Do we spiritualize that? That's often what we want to do because we don't want to be too, we want to, we're uncomfortable with, with even sounding anything at all, like the health and wealth people. We try and spiritualize it or explain it away. And yet it's, it's, that's, that's what it says. The hand of the diligent makes, makes one wealthy, makes riches, makes and and also we see in verse seven here, twenty nine seven, seek the welfare of the city into which I have sent you into exile. Pray for the Lord and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. In seeking the welfare of our city, of our nation, of our society, we will find our welfare. And so, what do we submit to the governing authorities, even? As, as individuals and share and, and pay them our taxes. Yes. But also it is not wrong to seek for a better world. And whether that better world, of course, is, what, what that better world is, is we're, we're going to have to debate and we're going to have to use scripture. Yes, but oftentimes scripture does not give us a political philosophy in the sense of what does the government civil magistrate have to look like it's not going to tell us that we're going to have to use biblical logic which is biblically informed logic in order to think through these issues and sometimes we're gonna to have to look through a biblical worldview our biblical worldview trained eyes at general revelation and start thinking about it in that way and maybe it is as we uh, on, on this show advocate a anarcho-capitalist society a a uh, Hoppian co um, covenant community based society, or maybe it is like a monarchist society, or maybe it's a more pure democratic Republic. And we just need to get that right and, and put the proper safeguards into place and, and undo the stuff that's happened. To maybe that's it. Maybe it's some combination. Maybe we take small steps in the right direction, even as we look for a better long-term solution but the point is the christian should not 
celebrate the fall of Christendom. A Christian society, a society according to God's word, God's moral law, the inspired word of God, a society that follows that word is going to be more prosperous. Look to the Joseph story. Joseph in his godliness and in pursuing God and God's law and God's rules made his house prosperous. Joseph is actually a perfect example of applying Jeremiah 29, 1 through, uh, 1 through 14 and 29, 11 is that God prospers them because he has a good plan for them. And that plan includes their seeking the welfare of the city, spending a long time in exile. And Joseph spent a long time in exile and he sought to prosper his masters every step of the way. And the Lord blessed him for that. The Lord blessed him and he, he enjoyed welfare. So it is not wrong for Christians to pursue the welfare of our city. That is not selfish. And even if it is, it's not wrong. It's not wrong. The Lord says, he says, seek the welfare of your city. And so that is a good thing to seek the welfare of our city for us to look around and say, this is not right. But then they tell us what you should submit. It's yes, but it's not right that my neighbor should have to submit. It's not right that my neighbor should have his rights eroded, that my neighbor should have his liberty taken away. That is not right. That is wrong. And I will fight for his right and for my right because it's completely okay for me to seek the welfare of the city looking to the fact that for in its welfare, I will find my welfare because the Lord's plans are for me are for welfare, not for evil, for future and a hope. And that welfare can include, yes, it must include eternity. It must be the fulfillment of, of, of all of the things I go through in this world and how it leads to an eternal life and, and how everything, everything contributes to that and everything that he is creating in me an eternal weight of glory through all the things that I endure and all things, he works all things to my good. And that good goes on in verses 29 through 31 to describe that those goods are, that good is my salvation, my eternal salvation. All things are working toward that good past, present, and future. And yet, it does include physical prosperity. Christians who live in America are very wealthy and very blessed. And a lot of times we, and almost, and I'm sorry to say, almost exclusively we talk about that as a negative. Now, there are negatives to that. We've talked about some of them on our show. We always talk about it in the negative. Aren't there good things? Isn't it true that godliness with contentment is great gain? Now, does contentment only mean content with having little? No, Paul says, I've learned to be content with little and with much. Sometimes we have to let's just walk. I, I encouraged my, my church when I last time I preached to just walk through their house and look at the many things that they have that go above and beyond mere food and shelter. And instead of, of looking at them like distractions, take a moment to thank God for it. To thank God for all the, the gifts that he has given us. 
we can very quickly turn into Gnostics. All physical stuff is bad. Wealth is bad. Why? Because it weighs us down. That is exactly what the Gnostics said. The Gnostics said the problem with our body is that it holds us down. We should deny ourselves because in denying our flesh, we can we can be freed from our, our meat, these meat sacks that our souls are attached to. But we are not tripartite beings. We are not three distinct beings are of soul, body, mind. We are one being. We are one being. Our, we may be able to distinguish between the parts, but we are one. So that means spiritual things matter, but so do physical things, including the physical welfare of our city. And so this verse Put back into context, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give future and a hope. When we put it back into context, it is not merely spiritual. It has this world implications. It does give us confidence in the future. It does give us joy in our sufferings, knowing that God is doing something better. Also is a profoundly political text telling us how to pursue life in the here and now. And that is, seek his welfare. That it is not selfish to stand up for our rights because in standing up for our rights, we are standing up for other people's rights as well. It is not selfish to seek to produce something that is going to be a good that, that society flourishes as a result. And it is not bad to seek a a economic arrangement that provides the most flourishing of wealth because we are seeking the flourishing of our city and seeking the flourishing of our city we are seeking our own flourishing that's okay it is still true that the hand of the sluggard makes for poverty and the hand of the diligent makes wealth and it is a good thing to be the latter. So yeah, put that verse back into context. Do proper exegesis. Do original exegesis. Not because it is a problem to see benefit for ourselves in the text or to see the verse as it applies to us. Not it's because it is wrong to apply a verse to ourselves, but because you're going to find a deeper truer and more long-lasting application in doing so. Take your time. Study the text. It will be of great benefit for your soul. This has been an Anarchist Bible Study bonus. Make sure you join us again next week when we take Anarchy to Church here on the Anarchist Bible Study. Grace and peace.